Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Our scripture for today is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. We pray for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we pray that we may hear your word, that we may receive your word, but that we also may be doers of your word. And so meet us wherever we are, however we are, whenever we are, with your truth today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. His name is Jeremy, and I don't like him. I haven't liked him for a long time. Actually, I haven't seen him or really know what he's doing now. It probably has been since about the fifth grade, the last time I ever interacted with Jeremy. You see, we went to elementary school together, and for whatever reason, he, he became this sort of just thorn in my side. He just sort of gnawed at me. I don't even remember why other than... I did not like playing dodgeball against him because he was kind of a punk. And so whenever we would face off in this dodgeball match, I remember any time I could, I wanted to get him out. And when I got him out, I remembered that I was going to put him down. It felt so good to get him out. And I don't know why all these years later... I still think about Jeremy, and I still have something against Tim. I don't know what is it about some people that they can crawl under our skin and that we hold a grudge even after all these years, even if we don't remember why, right? This is part of of who we are and what we do. We are people who hold grudges against people. Now, I looked up the definition of grudge, and a grudge is a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. That that's what a, a grudge is. It's this persistent feeling of, a, of an insult or, or something that has happened to us. And so you may be like me, and it may be somebody from elementary school you still have a, a grudge against. It may be somebody who you work with. It may be somebody in your family. It, it may be a political figure. There may be all these people that we have grudges against. And I think that we live in a, in a world in which there's so many of us that carry a chip on our shoulder. We carry a resentment around with us everywhere that we go. We feel this sort of stuff. Now, I think there's a few different kinds of grudge holders out there. Some of you are what I would call proud grudge holders. You are, um, you are proud that you are holding a grudge against this person, and you're going to let it be known. You are, you are against this person, that you are tired of it. You are proud that you are holding a grudge. Now, there are some of us who are more what I would call hidden grudge holders. You're like, you affected me, but I'm not going to let you know. 
you did something to me, but I'm not going to let you know that you bother me as much as you do. And we, we hold it in there. Now, sometimes even the hidden grudge holders, we even hide it from ourselves. We hide it from who we are. And, and, and we, we say to ourselves, I'm not going to let that person affect me, but inside they are affecting us. Some of us try to hide our grudges really well. And in fact, there are only probably a few of us who are no grudge holders, who really have learned the, the gift and the skill of forgiveness and been able to release people from the grudges that we hold against them. So how do you know that, that you are hold, might be holding a grudge? What are the signs that, that somebody has some sort of hold on you? Um, one of those things is a person might be living uh, what I've heard is rent-free in your head. That, that somebody who um, I know that I am pretty confident that Jeremy does not think about me all these years later, but for some reason he lives rent-free in my head every once in a while. There are other people who, who they just get under our skin. They, 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 they have a place, something that they've done, and it just continues to bother us. And they don't have to do anything anymore because they are living in our head already. Another sign that you might be holding a, a grudge against somebody is that you have anger fantasies towards this person. As you imagine them, um, uh, you imagine angry responses to them. You wish that you could only do these sort of things to them. And so you think about that. You play that out in your mind. It's not just a one-time thing, but, but it kind of comes up again and again. Now, there's a, a German word, and I may not pronounce it correctly, uh, but you'll have to forgive me for this as well. Another, another sign that you may be holding a grudge is this German word, schudenfrudi, or something. Not that. That's not the right way to say it. Um, I don't know my German. You can read it right here. Um, but this basically means taking pleasure from other people's pain. And there are some of us who, when our friend, our frenemy, our family member, somebody we don't like, whenever they get what we, they deserve, we rejoice in it. And that may be one sign that we're holding a grudge, is whenever we find pleasure when somebody else is experiencing pain. Now, one other way that, that I might could find out if I'm holding a grudge against somebody is if I'm trying to intentionally avoid them or if I'm around them, all of a sudden I have this sort of unintentional anxiety. So either I am, I am like, oh, I'm going to go out of my way because I don't want to deal with this person. I don't want to mess with this person. There's some bitterness probably in my heart. Or all of a sudden I find myself with them and unintentionally I have this anxiety that is springing up in me. Like, why am I so anxious as I'm dealing with this person? And so that might be another sign of what is going on, either this intentional avoidance or this unintentional anxiety. And so there might be a few people that are rolling in your mind um, as this happens. And again, as we talked about this Dare to Forgive series, I want it to be a practical experience for us, um, that, that it really does matter, not just that we um, think about forgiveness or we deal with the theoretical aspect of forgiveness, but we practically learn how to forgive people and that we move forward. So kids, in box one, I invite you to write, um, who is someone that you hold a grudge against? Um, write their name, draw their picture, do something. Who is someone that, that you may hold a grudge, have these feelings inside of us? Because here's what we have to believe, is that the, the, the only antidote to, um, to grudges is forgiveness, and that we have to walk this road of forgiveness. Nelson Mandela said it this way, that resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. And I think it's the way with unforgiveness, that unforgiveness is drinking poison and then hoping somebody else will die or experience the consequences. And so what happens is, is that because somebody has hurt you, 
you walk around with this bitterness and you end up hurting other people. But instead, the life God wants you to live is a life of being forgiven and then sharing that forgiveness so that you and I don't hurt and harm other people the way that other people have been hurt and harmed. And so this is part of our journey, is to forgive one another and to live in this life of freedom and joy and gladness. So how do we forgive? What does that practically look like? What does Jesus say about it? So in the the scripture I I read earlier, it's actually probably one of the better known texts about forgiveness. um, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? And then he says, seven times, like he thought he was doing something impressive. Because the standard number of times you should forgive somebody in those days was three times. So Peter is like, I'm going to double it. I'm going to add one. It's going to be a good thing. I am so much better than everybody else. But Jesus just blew him out of the water when he said 77 times, or, or some versions say 70 times, seven times. And part of it is that it is not countable. There is not a way that we can count the amount of forgiveness that it might take. And then Jesus tells this parable. Now, I didn't read the parable, but you can, um, you can see it later there in Matthew chapter 18. And it's a parable about debts and about money. And, and, and really, it's a parable that, that unless we understand some of, of a little bit more of what it means, then we're not going to understand the bigness, the fullness of this story. So he tells the story about a master who had a couple of servants. And it says here that there was one servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we don't use talents as a, as a measure of money. The best estimation that I can find for what 10,000 talents would equal in today's money is $9 billion. So imagine you owing a $9 billion debt. Good luck, right? Good luck being able to pay off this $9 billion dollar debt. And so he, um, he can't pay that debt. He goes up to his, ser- his master and he begs for mercy. His master was going to have not only the servant be sold, but also his wife and his kids in order to help pay back some of the debt. And so the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience on me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, it says, the master released him and forgave the debt. A $9 billion unpayable debt, and the master said, you are forgiven. Now, you would think that as he left, that he would just feel the goodness, that he would feel like, oh, I cannot believe I have been forgiven this much of a debt. I am free in a way that I never imagined. But that's not what he did. Instead, he took the next step, and as he left, he found a servant who owed him, it says, 100 denarii. Now, um, the, again, the best that I could calculate is about $15,000. Now, if somebody owed me $15,000, believe me, I would want that debt to come back. I'd want to get my money. If somebody owes you $15,000 or if you owed $15,000, that's a significant debt for a lot of us. That is an important amount. And this tells us in this story that this is a significant amount that the servant was owed by another servant. But his response is interesting because he goes and it tells us that he choked the, his friend and he said, pay what you owe. And the servant said and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you the exact words he said 
to the master. But instead, the servant refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt, as if he's going to be able to make money in prison, right? Now, this unsettled everybody else in the community. Because they said this person who was forgiven a $9 billion debt then could not forgive somebody a $15,000 debt. He was forgiven an unpayable amount, but yet he couldn't forgive somebody who had a payable amount. And so they went and told the master. And the master said these words. He said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which obviously could not happen. Nine billion dollars he now owed. So kids, I invite you in box two, draw a picture symbolizing how much money each person is owed. What does nine billion look like? What does 15,000 look like? Even just writing out all the zeros is, is kind of crazy as part of our story. Now this is our story, that we are people who have been forgiven a great debt and we are called to forgive other people who owe us a significant debt. But the truth is, is that we are all that first servant, is that we want mercy for ourselves and justice for other people. We want to experience God's goodness, his forgiveness, his grace. We want that. Lord, you know I've messed up, but you know my circumstances. You, you will forgive me because you understand. But we want other people to experience the consequences and the justice that they will get what they deserve. We want what we don't deserve. We want others to get exactly what they deserve. We want this mercy for ourselves. Now, all throughout this uh, series on, on daring to forgive, we've been, we've been talking about grace in, receiving grace, and grace out. This pattern of life of grace in, receiving grace and mercy and goodness from God, and grace, and, and then giving grace to other people. Now, somebody said, Aaron, what's your definition of grace? And my definition of grace is actually pretty simple. It's this, is that grace is God's goodness for us. Um, and so sometimes that grace looks like forgiveness. Sometimes that grace looks like healing. Sometimes that grace looks like um, just his wisdom and insight. And so whenever we think about grace in, sometimes it's forgiveness and we pass that on. Sometimes we get insight and we pass that on to other people. So that grace in, God's goodness for us, God's goodness for others. This is the rhythm of life. But this is not what the servant showed in this story. Grace in, I'm going to hoard it. And I'm not going to share it with other people. And so to finish that parable, this is what Jesus said. He said, and these are harsh words to us. So also, this throwing into prison, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This worries me a little bit, right? Because I, I can tend to hold on to grudges. I can tend to, 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 to feel bitterness and anger and, and, and hope people get what they deserve. But, but here in the story, Jesus is pretty clear. That, that unless we forgive one another from our hearts, unless it comes from a deep place, not just words that we say, but a deep place of forgiveness, we're not going to live with him. Now, I, I'm, I'm not saying that unforgiveness is an unforgivable sin. God's grace and mercy and goodness is, is so much big for the, bigger than that. 
But one of the ways that I understand heaven is that heaven is not just a place we go to when we die. It's an experience that we live while we're here. And if you want eternal life and you want heaven on earth, the only way to fully experience that is to feel and live a pattern of forgiveness in which we've received it, in which we give it. So how do we forgive from our heart? What do we do in order to forgive other people? Now, if you're sitting there today and and you're struggling with forgiveness, I, I think it's a real thing because we don't do a great job of walking through a process of forgiveness. And the truth is, is that we, you and I have experienced harm. We have been hurt and we have wounds. And the truth is that the deeper the wounds of our pain, the longer the process of forgiveness. I think so often we think that forgiveness is something I've done, but it's much more than that. It is a process. It is not a, have you forgiven this person, yes or no? It is a sort of an active participle. I am forgiving this person, more so than just something that's been done in the past. And so how do we know how deep the wound is? How do we know how long of a process it is? Again, there's a few factors that go into it. Maybe it's who, who did hurt us. The closer the person was, the more intimate the betrayal, oftentimes the longer the process might take. What was done? Again, the more pain, the, the closer it is, the, the depth of harm done, the, the more difficult it is and the longer the process. When it happened, um, especially um, stuff that happened while we're kids, oftentimes those things marked us and shaped us in such a powerful way that it creates sort of a, an initial wound um, that we have. And then also how we dealt with it at the time. Um, sometimes we deal with forgiveness at the time. Sometimes we put it off for a while. Did we, did we process it? Did we grieve the pain? Did we work the process of forgiveness? And so I'm, I'm going to go through some really practical ways for how to forgive somebody. And I'm just going to invite us to this journey. But here's the good news. is that the ability to forgive is a gift from God. Is that God is the one that can give us the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge of how to forgive. It is a gift from God. So don't think that, oh, I've got to muster up forgiveness. This is one of the things that we do I don't think we do very well. We don't just get to muster it up. We can't do that. We have to trust it and give it as a gift. Now, we're going to talk about reconciliation um, in a a couple of weeks. Um, Forgiveness is, is more about an emotional aspect of things. So I don't want you to think I've got to forgive somebody and be reconciled. Reconciliation is a different thing, and we're going to talk about that um, in a couple of weeks. What I want us to do is to think about the gift that God has given us and then the gift that we're called to give others. And so kids in box three, I invite you to draw a picture of you opening up a gift from God and and that this gift is actually meant not just for yourself, but also to be shared with others. So what's a gift that you can receive, but also share with other people as well? Now, I'm going to be, what I'm going to be sharing is, is not my own work. It's actually um, by, a, by an author by the name of Worthington. Um, he has a book on forgiveness called Forgiving and Reconciling. Um, and so if, if you want to go deeper or you need to go deeper, this is a book. He's got some other information on his website as well that you can check out. Um, but, but he really has been studying this from both a Christian 
and a psychological perspective for a long, long time and has some great words for us. Now, one of the things that he talks about in his book is he talks about two kinds of forgiveness. There is decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness. Now, decisional forgiveness is a lot of times what we think about with forgiveness, all right? So again, the easiest way to do it is to think about the schoolyard, right? So that Jimmy hit Timmy, um, and so Timmy then hits Jimmy, so then Jimmy pays him back, and back and forth this goes, right? That the cycle of violence will continue. And decisional forgiveness is saying, I am not going to pay back evil for evil. So somebody says something nasty mean to you, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to say something nasty and mean to them. I am deciding that I don't have to get even. That's decisional forgiveness, and thus often it's implied, and sometimes it's explicit when we think, I forgive you. And so often that's our thing of forgiveness, is we say it, we've decided it, and it's over, but that's not the way the heart works. I don't know about you, but my heart sometimes lags behind my decisions. I do something, but my heart's not in it all the way. And it's the same way with forgiveness, is that oftentimes we can decide to forgive, but our heart lags behind, and we have to help our heart out. And so what what Dr. Worthington talks about is the idea of emotional forgiveness. And he said, this is what is key. And he says, forgiveness does not replace hurtful memories. It doesn't mean that we just forget what happened in the past. Forgive and forget is not a Christian idea. Forgive and remember is actually a holy and loving way to do stuff. And so it does not replace hurtful memories. Instead, it replaces the negative emotions attached to those memories. And so often what happens is that when we um, as, we, as we continue to live through life, if we haven't emotionally forgiven, then something is going to trigger us. And not only will we remember it with our head, but our heart will take us back there. Maybe you've heard a song and it reminds you of so-and-so and it just tears at your heart and you're taken back there. It could be a, something you smell and you think, oh, I remember that smell. There's all sorts of stuff that triggers us in there. And so we talk about the process of emotional forgiveness. And so again, I'm going to invite us to this process, but one of the things I want to caution us is that you may not be good at it because again, forgiveness is a gift from God, but it's also a skill that we have to get better at. And some of you have some hurt and harm that has been done to you that is huge. I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And, and I know for some of you, as you, as you hear this, you're thinking, Aaron, I don't think I could ever forgive that person for that atrocity that was done to me. And so I just want to say, if you have a Mount Everest of forgiveness that you need for somebody, that you know it's going to take a long, long time, don't start there. Start with a much smaller mountain and build up the gift and the skill of forgiveness. And one other word that I would say is, is don't do it to somebody that, that is just still so fresh. All right, one of the things he says in his in his um, book is don't choose wounds while the blood is still wet. We've got to let, let it heal a little bit. We've got to let the scar appear as we begin the process of forgiveness. So I don't want you necessarily to think about just somebody who did something to you last night, but maybe think of somebody who did something five years ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago who you can safely work through this process before you build up. Now, if you've experienced something traumatic in your life, Um, I would highly recommend you going to see a mental health professional um, to help you walk through this journey of forgiveness. Um, Because as as some of those things build up, you need somebody skilled to help you walk through that as well. 
So as we, as we enter into this process that, that he talks about, again, we're going to enter into it gently, but also trusting that God can give us the grace and the gift to forgive. So this is what he calls the process. It's the reach process of forgiveness. And the first part of that um, is one of the worst parts of it, which is this, to recall the hurt. Sometimes when we think about forgiveness, again, we think about forgetness, but that's not the case with forgiveness. Forgiveness requires us to remember what happened, to deal with the situation as it is. Now, he gives a few uh, pieces of advice of that. He says, begin with prayer. Don't just enter into it, just, oh, I'm going to do this. No, begin in an attitude and a spirit of prayer. Begin there. He invites you to try to be objective to the events of forgiveness. And this is one of the important things he says throughout the process. Some people may have generally hurt us, but we need to remember specific things that they've done that have hurt us. We need to remember the specifics that happened, all right, so that we can symbolize the hurt that they've done to us. And so throughout the process, the more specific you can get with what exactly happened and trying to be objective to the actions and the feelings and the emotions are just so key. He, he, this is not just an idea for him. In fact, it's a super practical um, because his, his mom was, was murdered. And so he walked through this process himself. And so imagine how difficult it was for him as he recalled the hurt um, and actually recalled the hurt time and time again as he gave lectures and write books and all sorts of other things to recall the memories. And so he, he imagines us to imagine it, but also to imagine the perspective of the one who hurt you. Now, this is, again, not fun at all. We don't want to see things from their perspective. We don't want to imagine it. But again, we need to recall the event that happened that harmed us and imagine it from their perspective as well. Because really forgiving, and this is one of the things he says, is forgiving. It is for the other person, and it ends up being beneficial to you as well. It is forgiving. It is something you do. Now, the next step is to empathize. Again, our goal is to replace the negative emotions with positive ones, to replace all these negative associations and instead move them positively. And so we are called to empathize with the person who hurt us. Now, uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about seeing people with mercy eyes, and, and this is really all about empathy. It's about not seeing people as the person who has done evil but instead a hurting person who has acted in such a way. And even people who do things who are evil and who have been possessed by evil, what a brokenness and what a sad state that they must be in. What he says is that most people do not act from evil motives. Most people are trying to do what they think is best to meet a perceived need. Now, this is a terrible way, and desperate people have done terrible and desperate things. But most people do act as a sense of survival or to meet a sense of perceived needs. And so what he invites you to do as you imagine the other person is also to empathize with them, to imagine what they must be feeling in order to do the harm that they did to you. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but it makes their behavior understandable. I want to be clear about that. We don't say, oh, it's okay because you were hurting that you hurt me or that you hurt all my family or whatever the case may be. It doesn't make it okay or excusable. It just helps us to understand and empathize with the other person. And so we, 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 what would it feel like? What would it be like? 
one of the practices that he invites people to do is to write a letter um, describing the events from that person's perspective and or writing a, a sort of a letter of apology from that person to you um, as a way of, again, replacing the negative emotions um, with neutral or positive ones. So we empathize with them. Um, a few weeks ago, I shared the, the quote that Mr. Rogers used to carry around. There isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've learned their story. And so I don't know who hurt you. I don't know the, 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 the pain that they caused, but I also know that the person who hurt you is somebody who has gone through pain. And one of the things that I've heard for a long, long time is hurt people hurt people. I've done things because I've been wounded um, and I've hurt other people and, and maybe you have done the same as well. And so again, we remember that God has given us mercy and grace and we are called to share that with other people. Now, the next part, the A of it, is the altruistic gift of forgiveness. And, and he says that we have to give this altruistic gift of forgiveness, that we have to give this to them. Now, altruism is unselfish regard for another person. Now, one of the ways that we have to remember is that we have, we have been given much grace. We have been forgiven a $9 billion debt, and we have this, somebody has a significant debt, emotional debt against us. But we have to remember that we have received the gift of forgiveness and that we are called to give it. And so we remember our story of forgiveness. We are grateful to God for what he has done. And then we decide to give that gift to another person. And I think that that's a really helpful way to think about it because it's not about what they deserve. Just like you don't deserve the forgiveness of God. You receive it as a gift. And so you are choosing a gift for another person. Don't wait for them to, to, to deserve it, to earn it. It's a gift. And this is what we are called to do, is to give the gift. I mean, this is what Jesus did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves his love towards us. And so while other people have sinned against us, we give this altruistic gift for them, not for us, this unselfish regard for another person. And so we have to humble ourselves, and we talked about that with mercy eyes. We have to um, be grateful for what God has done for us and grateful that we can even give this gift, that we are at a place and a time in which we can do it, because that hasn't always been the case. There have been times previously when we haven't been able to, but now we might be ready to give the gift. Now the C with this is to commit publicly to forgive, to, to commit publicly to forgiveness, that we are choosing and we are saying we are forgiving them. It's not just something we do up here and it's not just something private with God. No, no, no. We need to at least tell somebody that we are trying to forgive them. Tell at least one other person. One helpful exercise is to write it down, to make it out there. This is one of the best things that we can do as, as people is to not just keep things in our head, but to say it out loud, to write it down, to make a note of it, to tell somebody, don't just hold it in, get it out there, write it down. And so kids, I invite you in box four to write down the name of a person that you may need to forgive. Write down somebody um, in that box of, of somebody that you need to forgive. And there are other ways that we can commit publicly. He, he gives an example in a story um, of, of, a, of a counselor who will have people 
um, take a rock. And he talks about the, the story of where all these, uh, all these people brought a woman who had committed the sin of adultery, um, and they were going to stone her to death. And, and so all these people had rocks, and they were about to throw them to her. And Jesus said, ye, ye that is without sin can cast the first stone. And so what this counselor invites people to do is to, to hold this rock and to, and to let the rock grow heaviness with your pain. And then at some point in time when you're ready, when the rock becomes too heaviness with your pain, to let it go. And sometimes these physical acts can help us emotionally forgive. Writing it down releases it. Holding this rock, imagining all the sin and dropping it lets it go. Release it and commit publicly to forgive. Walk through this with another person. And so maybe you and and a friend can just say, hey, who are you trying to forgive? This is who I'm trying to forgive. And you guys can help one another out in this process. And the H stands for hold on to forgiveness. It will not be easy to hold on to forgiveness because we are people who who remember things and, and who feel things and who take things. And so we have to hold on to the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of another person. We have to remind ourselves that we are in the process of forgiving because we will, be, um, we will experience pain and we're going to have to forgive that person again. I mean, I think that's one reason why Jesus said 70 times 7 or 77 times because sometimes that's how many times it will take is that we're going to have to regularly forgive this person. That we're going to have to replace our negative emotions with positive ones asking God for the gift and the grace in order to be able to forgive. So don't dwell on it. But instead, when those negative emotions appear, you need to replace them with something positive. We have to practice it time and time again. We have to hold on to forgiveness and trust and believe in that. Now, um, one of the things that that you're going to be getting later on this afternoon is a, a worksheet that, that I've, I've taken, and I've taken it from a variety of places and put together, that's just a short one page of a practical way to forgive. It's going to invite you to, to name somebody. It's going to invite you to recall the hurt um, and recall the, the damage, um, because I do think it's important to write it down. And so I would just encourage you um, to, to just start somewhere and to start there. Even if all you can do is write the initials of somebody, that's completely okay. All right, but, but I want you to imagine this and make it as practical as possible. Again, don't go for your Mount Everest of hurt first. All right, start with somebody a little bit differently. Now, at the bottom of that, um, and if you are interested in receiving that and you don't normally get our emails, I need you to email Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at mustangumc.org. Email Karen and just say forgiveness, and she will make sure to send you the worksheet as well, all right? So if you're watching this and, you're not getting, and you don't get something this afternoon, just email Karen as well. But at the bottom of this is a prayer. Now, I, um, I got this prayer um, uh, from, from someone who, who shared it with me as a way of, of me practicing forgiveness, and I want to share it with you. Um, because one of the things that it invites us to is to empathize and to remember that everybody we encounter, including the persons who have hurt you, are children of God. And so what I'm going to invite us to is during the season of Lent to pray this prayer twice a day. 
And so we, uh, when we were imagining that we were going to be in person, I, I had, uh, I had uh, Karen print these off. These are little Dare to Forgive cards. It has this prayer. Um, it is included at the bottom of your worksheet. Um, we'll have these at the church if you want to. But I would encourage you to just um, carry this around or create something for your phone that has this prayer so that you can look at it and remember it and, and, and just include this as part of your Lenten routine. So Ash Wednesday begins, um, is, is coming up this Wednesday. And so for this season of Lent up until April 4th, which is Easter, twice a day, sometime in the morning, sometime in the evening, maybe it's when you first get up, maybe it's when you're ready to go to bed, maybe it's at, at your uh, morning coffee and your afternoon tea, whatever it looks like in your rhythm, at least twice a day, I want you to commit to doing this. And what if we became people who, in, who for Lent gave up our grudges for people? And we practiced the art, the skill, and the gift of forgiveness. And so this is what this prayer says, and I'm just going to invite us to it. I'm going to go over it, and then we're just, I'm going to have a time of prayer where we can fill in the blank in our hearts. Uh, If you're at a place and you can say somebody's name out loud, I think this would be good for you as well. So the prayer begins this way. Blank is weak and fallible. Blank is weak and infallible. Whoever it is, that's, who they, that's part of their story. All right, and, and there may be some of you who, who the person you need to forgive is yourself, and that could be true for this prayer too. Maybe that's what you need to do. You're still so angry at yourself for what you've done that you need to forgive yourself. We're going to be talking about that more next week, about how to forgive yourself, um, but, but this could be you. This could be somebody else. Blank is weak and fallible. The prayer continues and it says, I choose to separate what blank did from who blank is. All right. And it goes on to say, what this person did was awful and horrible. But who this is, is someone deeply and incredibly loved by God. This is such an important part. All right, what they did, we're not going to excuse We're not going to make light. We're not going to forget. We're going to remember what they did because it caused us great pain. But who they are is someone deeply loved by God. And we can receive that. And then the prayer ends this way. Through the power of Jesus Christ, may you give me the grace to forgive. Amen. So it's not about what we can do, but about what God can do through us. And what if we became people who had the courage and the grace and the goodness to forgive and we truly walked that road and we didn't hold this bitterness anymore, but we came to Jesus and said, Jesus, live. Live through us, live in us, live. And may other people live as well. So I'm going to invite us to this time of prayer. And I will be praying this prayer, and I just invite you, if you are at a place in which you can whisper or say out loud somebody's name, I'm going to invite you to do that. Um, As we just become the people who have received much grace from God, and we give much grace and forgiveness to others. Let us pray. And so, Lord, as we prepare for this season of Lent, this time of self-denial, one of the things we want to deny ourselves are the grudges that we've been holding. And so as we pause, as we are still, Lord, I I can only begin to imagine what your children have gone through. 
the people that have hurt them, the parents who have hurt us, the kids who have hurt us, the spouses who have hurt us, the, the friends who betrayed us, the world that doesn't seem to do anything good for us. Lord, I just pray that you would know and that each and every person who is praying right now would know that you know their pain and that you weep with them over the pain. Lord, would your comfort be upon them and may they know that they do not suffer alone but that you are with them grieving, mourning and weeping with them. So Lord, we want to forgive and as we look forward to this Lenten season, God, we pray that this prayer may become a rhythm of our life and of our day so that we may be people who dare to forgive and have the courage to forgive. So let us pray this together. Lord, this person is weak and fallible. I choose to separate what this person did from who this person is. What he or she did was awful and horrible, but who she or he is is someone deeply and incredibly loved by God. Through the power of Jesus Christ, may you give me the grace to forgive. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.